Love what you hear? Be sure to check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash finish the fight for exclusive episodes, insights, and even our D&D adventure. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome back to Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast. Where we develop and produce the highest quality gaming content in podcast form. I'm your host, Jesse Reiners. And I'm your host, Alex Kendall. And bust out your cameras. I'm really excited about this one. This is a good one. This is this is a childhood favorite, at least for us. Uh, we're going to be going over to Pokemon Island to take some pictures in Pokemon Snap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this was very different for Pokemon at that time. Like, they were just starting to break into the, the 3D realm of Pokemon, but, you know, no one expected a game where literally the mechanic was taking photos and just trying to get really good ones. At face value, that's what it is. Sure, and this is where definitely Pokemon started to expand because I think mm-hmm. around the same time you had Pokemon Pinball, mm-hmm. Pokemon Snap, later you're going to have Hey You Pikachu... So they're really expanding out the market to try out all these different things that the N64 could do and some couldn't do, mm-hmm. uh, I will say. But they were they were attempting to get the market as as really much as they could. Yeah, it's and again, it's it's fascinating how this blew up essentially mm-hmm. and and it took a long time before Nintendo said, "All right, let's pull the trigger on a sequel." We're seeing it. Mhm. So Pokemon Snap is an on-rails first-person shooter-style simulation game developed by HAL Laboratory and published by Nintendo for the Nintendo 64 in 1999 in both Japan and the United States, and the third Pokemon game released for the Nintendo 64. Now grab your camera and hop into your crazy buggy. It is time to photograph some Pokemon. Pokemon Snap puts you into the shoes of Todd Snap, professional Pokemon photographer who has been hired by Professor Oak to take snapshots of the critters in Pokemon Island for a Pokemon report. Using various items such as Pokemon food, pester balls, and the Poke Flute, Todd Snap works his magic by creating imagery of the 63 Pokemon available on the island, some of which need some encouragement from the aforementioned items that result in Pokemon evolutions, dances, and special interactions. Not only can you enjoy your digital album of surfing Pikachu, Magmar's fighting, or Meowth getting destroyed by some Pidgeys, but you can even print out those moments thanks to a Nintendo and Blockbuster partnership that allowed you to bring your game into the store and bring those pictures into reality. Nintendo has been known to take their IPs and try something completely different, and for the most part, they pay off, and Pokemon Snap is no exception. Absolutely. It's, again, you talked about it, it's really the start of where these spin-offs, these, spin-offs these different titles uh, started coming from and where they started working with different companies to do so, not just uh, Game Freaks doing these Pokemon companies. Yeah, so Game Freak has typically always had a handle in your main line. So, mm-hmm. so your Pokemon Blue, Silver, Ruby, all those, that's always been a Game Freak product. You now have Hal, who comes in, and if you guys don't know Hal, we'll talk a little bit about them, but you know them from, if you've played Super Smash Bros, Kirby games, mm-hmm. you always see that little dog with the eggs pop up, so you know what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, because Hal Laboratory Incorporated was founded February 21st, 1980, originally named Halkin. Known for their work on Super Smash Bros, Kirby, and Pokemon, the studio started out making games for the MSX system and Commodore VIC-20. After getting several titles under their belts, the studio started working on a Metal Slater Glory, an adventure game set in 2062 after humans have colonized the moon and established several space stations for the Famicom. 
the long development time and advanced graphics made Metal Slater Glory the largest Famicom game and one of the costliest to develop. The game drove the studio to near bankruptcy. Luckily, Nintendo stepped in and offered to pull the studio from financial brink, and with the condition that Sotoru Iwata be made president of the company. Now with the studio back in action, they partnered with Nintendo to release Kirby's Dream Land for the Game Boy. This partnership with Nintendo would strengthen, releasing games for Nintendo such as Earthbound and Kirby's Dream Land 2 and 3. After these games, they were ready to work on Nintendo 64 titles. Though they started working on Simcopter 64, it would never see the light of day. They were now faced with working on a new game for the Nintendo 64 DD or the disk drive. Yes, so remember this was kind of a competitor to go after Sega, start going after Sony to deliver even more power mm-hmm. to the N64. And we saw the likes of Legend of Zelda trying to get Donkey Kong on there and a couple others that were going to be like their big breakout hits to get this peripheral system to work and to sell. Yeah, even Animal Crossing was mm-hmm. supposed to be a 64DD because it was it's an attachment that goes under the Nintendo 64 where then you have essentially it's a floppy disk but they you know they said it was a, a disk drive mm-hmm. that you put in there. It had a real-time clock. It was supposed to have online capabilities. It was supposed to be this this brand new piece of tech that ultimately didn't even sell well in Japan. Mm-hmm. So they they shut it down. It's unfortunate because it could have been a really cool thing. But alas, it brought us a lot more N64 titles and a lot that were pushed off for the GameCube. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. Now let's talk about, you know, what it took to start the development of this game and who worked on it. Yes. Nintendo designer Shigeru Miyamoto, Nintendo president Hiroshi Yamuchi, and HAL Laboratory president Satoru Iwata all had a meeting discussing third-party developers. In the past, third-party devs were not too innovative with their games rather going off of what was already successful for Nintendo. The three agreed that they would create a team that could create an innovative game. They would then put a print ad out to hire developers for this project. The ad stated that one didn't need to have previous game experience. You just had to apply. Mm -hmm. Over 550 applications were submitted, and 50 in-person interviews were conducted before about 10 to 12 developers were hired. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because this ad was basically, obviously you needed to have development skills, but they said, we don't really care if you've never been in in video games. You've just made early websites or anything Mm -hmm. like that or worked on certain hardware. That's fine. They said, you know, we just want to create an innovative game. Yeah, we need somebody from basically outside of the industry, Mm -hmm. it's kind of the, the thinking of it, to create something new. Because mm-hmm. anything that you need to learn to do game dev, you've already kind of learned somewhere else, and we can help you build on that skill and create something new. So that was their thought process. Mm-hmm. They thought, yeah, just get a bunch of outsiders, a bunch of you know, uh, new, new out-of-college uh, hires, and we're going to be good to go. Mm-hmm. Not so much. A year before the release of the Nintendo 64, HAL Laboratory's new team started work on their game, possibly titled Jack and the Beanstalk. Uh, you know, we've, we, when we were looking into this, there might have been a, a mistranslation where really it was never called that, but people thought that because the team is called Jack and Beans, led by Yauchi Yamamoto with Iwata and Miyamoto as producers on the project. The dedicated development team was known as Jack and Beans as reference to the fairy tale because they looked at it as these are the beans that Jack threw out and it's going to make this big stock, a.k.a. this amazing game. Mm-hmm. In an Iwata asks on Nintendo.com, Iwata stated, quote, Originally, Pokemon Snap wasn't a Pokemon game, but rather a normal game in which you took photos. This made the motivation in the game rather unclear and left the studio to wonder what exactly the player would enjoy taking photos of. It also does not help that there was no real organization with the Jack and Beans team. There were not many clear leaders on the project, as many of the developers were brand new to development. Not only that, the difficulty of developing 3D titles for the Nintendo 64 was almost an insurmountable challenge for them to overcome. After two years... There was no end in sight on when the game would be complete, as they only had finished the photography concept of the game. Yeah, because so think of this in the ways, and this is how I usually represent it to to put it into terms of today. Think about Pokemon Go. Mm-hmm. You know, with Niantic, that originally wasn't a Pokemon game either. 
That yeah, was, I did not know that. So that was a game that was already pretty much established that had you kind of going around these different areas and, and kind of doing what you're doing in Pokemon Snap. Mm-hmm. But it was kind of its own IP or its own idea they were working with. Yeah. And so as they developed this, they were able to go ahead and sell this out. And Game Freak was like, let's do it. Nintendo was like, let's do it. And it had a rocky start. It's definitely made up for it. And that's where you get the Harry Potter version of it mm-hmm. and plenty others because they already had all that data farmed. Yeah. They already had all those plots made and everything else. Mm-hmm. So that was already a project they had. So think of it in that term that this was just going to be a photo game. You just went and took photos of stuff. Yeah. And it's like, what can make it appealing or interesting to a wide audience? Let's put Pikachu in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Essentially, yeah. That's, I think that's pretty much what happens nowadays. <laughs> Miyamoto would often visit the office to check the progress of the game. And each time, he was not really impressed with what they had been making. Overall, the producers felt like the project was a mistake. The team on the project was rather hurt when they found out that this was the overall sentiment of the leadership on the project. After this, Miyamoto would stop visiting the office. Doesn't that suck to think about that you as this person who probably signed up for that flyer or some internals working on this project, you put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into it. Mm-hmm. Even if it's not something that you know you and I working on this project might not believe in, we're putting you know a lot of our effort into it. Mm-hmm. And when your management's like, "Yes, this game sucks," yeah, and you have Miyamoto just straight up say, "I'm I'm washing my hands of this. Goodbye." Yeah, I, how do you like, come? How do you come back from that? Well, especially it is kind of management's fault. They threw a bunch of people in a room and said, "Make a game." Mm-hmm. There, there was no structure. Uh, they, they, there was as we said, there's no clear leaders. At this time, you know, Nintendo and even how laboratories essentially have their own way of doing yeah. things. But they said, let's mix it up. Like, that almost never works. No, you have to figure out some structure with it. Otherwise, if no one else can bring this you know, idea to fruition, mm-hmm. it's going nowhere. Yeah. And as I said, you know, he was essentially done with the project. Iwata felt that there was still hope for the team. So he stayed the course. However, some members of the team would leave during this time. Iwata would then bring in developers he knew that would be able to help with the project and get it back on course. So they're kind of like, okay, let's bring in some HAL Laboratory and some Nintendo folk to, you know, get get an idea going for this. Get some, some kind of structure down. We're going to get management in now. We're going to actually create a pipeline for all this. It'll be good to go here soon. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, at this time... Pokemon Red and Green were released earlier in Japan in 1996, and they took the country by storm. Iwata saw that Pokemon could be the key to the success of this photography game. The team was somewhat forced to make it a Pokemon game now, and they kind of knew it. Mm -hmm. Initially, designer Masanobu Yamamoto was rather upset seeing his characters be changed to Pokemon, but he understood after hearing that the developers were rather lost in development. They needed direction. Luckily, Yamamoto liked Pokemon, and he felt like it saved the game. Now, HAL Labs were not working on the game alone, though. They would receive help from Pax Sofnica, a studio that had worked often with Nintendo in the 90s. The Japan-centric studio mostly made games for Nintendo that never crossed over to other shores, like the Famicom games Shin, Onigashima, and Mother, which we eventually did see in the U.S., but at this Mm -hmm. time they were making it solely Mm -hmm. for them, with Pokemon Snap being one of their last games they worked on before cutting ties with Nintendo. Unfortunate. It's unfortunate. You know, you have this studio that worked and produced a lot of what they had over there, but that's it's that's usually the course of where it goes. If you're mm-hmm. a few and far between make it to major development or major studio heads, so you just kind of work with what you have and unfortunately either close your doors or move on to other projects. Absolutely. Yeah, there's been plenty of studios that over the years, you know, cut uh, ties have been cut. With Nintendo and these third-party developers mm-hmm. and these companies that even just help them with the games. Absolutely. Now, the game was going to be released, as we had said, on the Nintendo 64 DD as a launch title before becoming a Nintendo 64 title. There is some speculation around why it changed platforms. Some claim that it was due to the 64 DD's release being delayed numerous times. Others claim that the sales for the console were less than ideal in Japan. Regardless... Nintendo made the right move because if they had not switched what console was released on, it could have potentially just been canceled or, you know, just outright forgotten about. Yeah, there was only a handful of 64DD titles. I know Super Mario 64 Mm -hmm. did come out for there, and they're uh, an odd gem. And and there's even a subculture of of developers who make games for the 64DD that still keep it alive somewhat. It's it's super interesting uh, that... 
it was like 50 titles got moved to the Nintendo 64 or pushed off to the GameCube, I believe. A lot something. of them got pushed off to the yeah. GameCube just because they were getting developed middle or I would say the last three-quarter life of the mm-hmm. N64. So I think it was more so, okay, we're putting this new platform out that's going to be these little baby discs. So <laughs> yeah. what's cuter, a cartridge or a baby disc? Mm-hmm. They chose baby disc. And, of course, it changed the dynamic a lot of these games because mm-hmm. that disc provided a lot more memory. And it yes. cut it down like a third. It did. It allowed so much more. And it allowed for, in terms of polygons, we keep saying that in some of these episodes, mm-hmm. let's just say sharpness. You don't have these blocky characters like you had in a lot of N64 games. You're now getting these smooth things you can get onto the GameCube. Yeah. So a lot of those changes were visual and just for developers to kind of redo everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they did wrap up development finally with, you know, luckily Iwata sticking through mm-hmm. and and saying, I'm going to see this through. I think that we can really do something with this project. And I think with him, that saved Hal. Yes. I mean, how, like I said, goes on to do Super Smash Bros. and future Super Smash Bros. titles, as well as future Kirby titles and future other titles with Nintendo. So, you know, this was kind of, in a way, a make or break. You know, we don't know for sure. Mm-hmm. I can't go to all my multiverses and check it out. <laughs> but in this universe, it worked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and what I really loved about this game more than anything was the marketing. Because yes. that was something you brought up with me. There was a few things I didn't know. And you were like, this is going to be like a pretty fun marketing episode Mm -hmm. and and you were not wrong the game was first revealed to the world at the 1998 space world expo in japan originally advertised for the nintendo 64 dd it was going to fully use the new system's 38 megabytes of dynamic memory allowing players to save high res photos of the pokemon you know as we said obviously didn't work out but you know it got moved to the 64 and what nintendo did at least in America, uh, the U.S., in order to market this was pretty phenomenal. Yep. We'll start with the Pokemon Summer Training Tour. Now, this 19-city tour allowed players, ages 7 to 14, to face off against other Pokemon trainers with their copies of Pokemon Red and Blue in tournaments. At these events, attendees were also given a chance not only to try out Pokemon Pinball Game, but to also watch a demo of Pokemon Yellow and Pokemon Snap. The tour would go from Minneapolis to Milwaukee, Chicago, Kansas City, Missouri, Salt Lake City, Portland, San Francisco, Sacramento, Los Angeles, San Diego, Indianapolis, Cincinnati, Detroit, Memphis, Dallas, Jacksonville, Charlotte, Bethesda, Maryland, and New York and New Jersey. So yeah, so honestly an actual full U.S. tour. Typically, mm-hmm. they'll stay either coastal with it or in, like, the, the east or the west. They'll do separate small regions, mm-hmm. essentially, you know, or regional tours, not an actual tour like this. And I, I miss events like this. We need it back. Soon. Very soon. Not right now, but soon. But soon. <laughs> Next up is, is, I think, what really drew people to Pokemon Snap, mm-hmm. what I think has kept it alive, and was kept Alex on eBay up late at night trying to bring back his childhood, (laughs) and that is the Snap and Print stations. So Pokemon Snap players could bring their Pokemon Snap cartridges to any participating blockbuster store in the U.S., in Japan at the Japanese convenience store Lawson, or in Australia at participating Toys R Us locations. There, they could print a sheet containing 16 stamp-sized stickers of their favorite snapshots. Costing only $3, the images could be purchased and printed by loading credits on one of five cards that features Bulbasaur, Charmander, Squirtle, Pikachu, or Jigglypuff. This promotion originally lasted from May 1999 to Thanksgiving 1999, but Nintendo extended it due to its popularity. Mm-hmm. And it was. It was a staple. If you had a Blockbuster or something near you, and you went in there and you saw that station, because they actually had two stations mm. uh, for some. If, if you were a ritzy Blockbuster, <laughs> if you know, Alex knew where to go. I knew where to go. Because not only that, there was a Pokemon Stadium one as well. Oh, really? Pokemon Stadium had a photo mode. It was... I don't I don't remember. No one really used it. But I, it I don't had, remember this. Neither did I. <laughs> until I was like fi- looking through some of my stuff, and I was going through my cartridges, and there is one there. And I double-checked. I was like, what is this? Interesting. It, it is there. And they had two different booths. And the only way mm. you knew was the graphics on the outside. It would be a Snap Station or a Pokemon Stadium Station, which blew my mind. Mm -hmm. I'm like, that's fantastic. I absolutely love that. And so how one would get those stickers, like I said, was rather an interesting process. 
there would be a station or stations set up in the respective store where you could go in at any time when the store is open and print the stickers yourself. 3 a.m.? I feel like printing some stickers. Hey, listen. When you got to print, you got to (laughs) print. These stations were made by HAL Laboratories System Development Division. So they were the ones that was also kind of helping with the N64DD. So Mm -hmm. they were still partnering with that. And this is kind of the experimental division of it. Yeah. There was even a playable demo of the game present at these stations. If you had any trouble finding the nearest Blockbuster, you could call a phone number provided by Nintendo in Pokemon Snap's manual that would give you the location that was closest to you. Imagine being like, what do you do for a living? Uh, I take phone calls and tell people where to go and print off Pokemon Snap stickers. Dude, if you want to, listen, let me tell you. If you want to know a good customer service, it's Nintendo's. Really? Let me hearken you back a little bit. And I'll tell you about this because these people are fantastic. I had an issue with, I had, I guess I had th- two 3DSs. One broke, but I couldn't get my purchase over. Mm-hmm. They were the coolest ever. They gave me a free code. They were asking what I liked about Fire Emblem at the time because she was <laughs> playing Fire Emblem. We had a cool conversation. So Nintendo has the best customer service. I might call them one day be like, what's your issue? Be like, I'm lonely. Talk to, <laughs> talk to up? me. I'm just playing me some Pikmin right now. <laughs> what do you got going on, Jesse? <laughs> Nintendo saw how popular this had become, so they ran the Take Your Best Shot contest with print and commercial ads. This allowed fans to mail in their Pokemon stickers to Nintendo. The winner would have an all-expenses-paid trip to Australia for a family of four. Needless to say, there were lines of fans outside of blockbusters around the country, waiting to print their best shots. Kevin L. from Colorado won the prize. Five participants won a digital camera and $100, and 100 participants won a yellow Game Boy Color with Pokemon Yellow. I wish I had done this as a kid. This is, see, this is, I want more interactive marketing like this. Mm-hmm. Marketing, a lot of times for video games nowadays, you're going to get something cool in-game when you pre-order it. Yeah. Uh, there's no, something like this. Well, I think, too, you rely on streamers now. You rely on word of mouth mm-hmm. a lot more and more of these showcases where people can share a video that costs you nothing as a developer. Mm-hmm. But this type of stuff, I just love. I, it's so cool. I mean, that's a, that's a big expense. Making those stations. Yeah. Like a literal station where you go in, you plug your, your cartridge in. Well, I guess it's just a modified N- N64 yes, that they so have. Yes, so actually I can tell you about that too because look that up. It is a modified N64 that has basically almost a prototype DD in it mm. that was like like modified the system to be able to work and function to play games but also function as a printer. Mm-hmm. So it can yeah. kind of tell several things in there what to do. Now, don't these go for like a couple thousand yes. at this point? If they like pop if up. If they're still up there somewhere mm-hmm. and they work. You occasionally see a Reddit post where someone's like, drove a thousand miles, went and got this. Where do you live? Because I'll drive a thousand miles right now. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, there is a novelization of Pokemon Snap that was adapted into a novel for Pathways to Adventure series in 1999. I didn't know about that. You know who owned that? Who? This guy. <laughs> That's how you knew about it. I looked it up, and I was like, what was that again? And I saw the cover. Immediately when I saw the cover, I went, I own those books. <laughs> I know exactly what those books were. Yeah, so it was the novelization of it. So it's kind mm. of like when you were getting video game books, yeah. like uh, like you know, in, in Halo or Gears of War or yes. Mass Effect or any of those. It's that exact thing. It's mm-hmm. just a novelization of a mix of the anime and the games, but together in a book. So he, he snuck up on the Pokemon. He snapped the photo. He left. And no, it's that way for two hours. No, it's like Todd. <laughs> yeah, it's like Todd with Ash. It's like I when, know, I know. Do you? Because I, I know, know this book. I've never read it, but I, I get that it's along their adventures. Touche, my friend. <laughs> Touche. Well, now that we're, we're done with that and Jesse has not had a great childhood, let's talk about... <laughs> Gameplay. What is Pokemon Snap? If if some of you are too young or have never played this, I'll give you a rundown of what this Pokemon picture game is. Mm-hmm. In Pokemon Snap, the famous Pokemon researcher Professor Oak is studying Pokemon on Pokemon Island. You know, it's it's what you name it. I'm going to go study <laughs> bears on Bear Island, <laughs> as one would. So he invites Todd Snap, a talented young photographer, to assist in his research. The only current inhabitants of Pokemon Island are wild Pokemon making it the perfect place to study Pokemon in their natural habitat. Whereas a trainer may not be able to resist catching the wild Pokemon of the island, Todd's photography skills may equally aid in the professor's research to complete his Pokemon report. Now, rather than catching and training Pokemon, the goal is to explore Pokemon Island and photograph its inhabitant Pokemon. Travel is restricted to tracks designed for the Zero-One, 
And Todd's equipment includes his camera, which takes up to 60 photos per trip, apple-shaped Pokemon food, pester balls to knock out or stun Pokemon, and a Poke flute to wake sleeping Pokemon. Now, some of these items Todd gains further into his journey, as well as earning the Dash Engine to increase the speed of the Zero One. So the Zero One, if you just look at a, a photo of it, it's a like a three-wheeled tracked orb egg-looking yeah, car. it's got like the top half is, yeah, a, a circular. Like a, almost like a roll cage. It, well, it's kind of like what you see a lot of the designs in, in anime vehicles like that, I think, in the 90s. Put it this way. Imagine an Easter basket <laughs> with the handle on top. That's the zero one. That's exactly it. Just color it yellow. <laughs> After each adventure into one of the seven levels, you meet back at Professor Oak's lab to discuss your score and how well you captured the Pokemon on your route. Scoring takes into account various aspects of the pictures, such as the Pokemon's size, its pose, and keeping the Pokemon in frame. Extra points are awarded for capturing a special pose or Pokemon, such as a surfing Pikachu, and if there are multiples of the same Pokemon within that frame. Scoring well in the Pokemon report and photographing a wide variety of Pokemon is required to make progress in the game. Players can also use an album mark to bookmark their favorite pictures. This adds the pictures to a personal in-game album to view at a later date to show any of your friends. Exactly. As mentioned, there are a total of 63 Pokemon to photograph in the game, including the legendary Mew. To unlock the Rainbow Cloud hidden Mew course, players must photograph all six of the hidden Pokemon signs throughout the six levels. These signs are natural or man-made formations that look like Pokemon that the player must photograph at a certain angle for Professor Oak to accept the photo. So, yeah, these were some, I guess, secrets that you would eventually establish as you went through these levels. Mm -hmm. Some involved just photographing at the, the, the right angle. Mm -hmm. Some you had to get a Pokemon to move out of the way. One, you had to have an Electabuzz actually, like, electrocute something mm. to light this up and, like, shine a light on the wall to show the Pokemon shape. Interesting. So, yeah, so was, there was a lot of interaction with the Pokemon and getting them to do certain things that allowed you to progress the level. That's even how you got through some levels was you had to interact with some Pokemon, which we'll talk about as we go through the levels, to either blow open a wall or knock over something that would be like, oh, what's that back there? And you would actually take your zero, fly, because you could also fly in the zero. Oh, Don't okay. forget. You'd like this weird hover and fly around stuff. That's because eventually you go to the cloud with the Mew, mm -hmm. flying around that guy. Cool times. <laughs> Yeah, and it definitely, I did like that. When I first got this game, I thought it was just, you're on the rail, mm -hmm. snap some photos, you go to the next, but you actually have to know where to find these secret photos to take, or, you know, these structures, and you always had that one friend who always knew. Yep. And, and it, like, every game, every different game, especially the 64 era, had a different friend who knew the secrets. Like, oh, absolutely. Oh, 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 I know where they are. You, uh, you were that friend for this uh, game, for sure. That, for sure. <laughs> and on top of that, as we had said, the items like the Pokemon food pester balls, those all weren't unlocked. Mm -hmm. So you started out just with your camera and then eventually get the food, pester balls, pokey flute, you know, to make that Snorlax dance. Of, mm -hmm. of course, you got to do it. I love the concept of a pester ball. You just throw stuff at them. It's basically just like a poison cloud and they just like die. <laughs> and you're like, yep, that was a good one. Photo that. Great shot. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about the levels. So this is probably one of my favorite things of the game is going back to the idea of Pokemon Natural Habitat, mm -hmm. I oh, think yes. this is the only Pokemon game that I know of that actually has Pokemon just interacting with environments by themselves, kind of doing their thing, like Squirtle in the water. Mm -hmm. You know, you have Bulbasaur, like, chilling in the stump with other Bulbasaurs. Yeah, it's not like the more recent titles where they're just walking mm -hmm. around and, like, start chasing you. They're, they are living naturally. They're, they said, just doing their own thing. I love it. So let's start with the beach. So the beach is one of the six major areas of the Pokemon Island, and like its name suggests, it is a sunny beach location. Many man-made structures and objects lie around the course. Towards the beginning of the beach, a wooden retaining wall is built into the hillside, as well as a boardwalk descending down from atop the hill and an abandoned surfboard nearby. Still intact and in working condition, a rail track spans the entire length of the course, complete with a bridge to connect both sides of the island's coastline. 12 different kinds of Pokemon can be photographed on or near the beach, ranging from the common Butterfree to rare Pokemon such as Eevee and Chansey. Many Pidgey nest here, and off the coast, a school of Lapras can be seen congregating in the distance. Near the beginning of the beach lies a set of moss-covered rocks in a wooden structure that, when viewed at a certain angle, resemble a Kingler. 
Professor Oak names this Pokemon sign Kingler Rock. Real original, Oak. Hashtag detailed walkthrough for you right there. <laughs> Haven't had one of those in a minute. Yeah, I do love when you see those Lapras. Mm-hmm. I remember I remember uh, fondly as a kid seeing that, and it is like uh, a new experience with Pokemon. It's Isn't awesome. It? It's, it's beautiful. Because there's like a light bit of mist out there, mm-hmm. and as they get closer, that mist goes away with it, so yes. you get this Lapras. It's, and I loved as a kid experimenting on this level, because eventually we get that Poke food, you're like, can I throw out the Lapras to get it closer? Can I do this mm-hmm. with this? Can I do this with this? So you just start pegging everybody with food. <laughs> you just start pegging everybody. You're like, all right, come on, get closer. Yeah. Get closer. And then they don't, and you're like, whatever, and you poison them. And the best part of this level, too, is the intro. You're like, oh, Butterfree, Butterfree, that's kind of cool looking. And that that walkway I was talking about, mm-hmm. Tudo Duo just comes sprinting down it, like right in front of your car. And it's the first kind of thing that you get interacted with. Yeah. Like just wild Pokemon coming across. And that, I think that, too, for me, is a really cool intro to the game showing they're just everywhere. Yeah, well, they did, Nintendo did advertise the Zero One as like one of the Jeeps or vehicles from Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. So maybe they're trying to give that feel in a way. I'm just, I was just waiting for the Tyrannosaurus Rex the whole time. Oh, you do get one later. <laughs> you just got to launch that Charmeleon. <laughs> the next level we do have is the tunnel. It is one of the six major areas on Pokemon Island. As its name suggests, it's a long, dark tunnel that sits at the foot of an active volcano. Much like the beach, many man-made structures exist outside and within the tunnel, including a decommissioned power plant that has begun to fall into disrepair. The power plant is no longer in use. However, some auxiliary power still remains, keeping the automatic vault doors operational. Similar to many industrial complexes around the Pokemon world, the tunnel has become home to many electric-type Pokemon attracted to the power plant. Gotta get that good, good electric. (laughs) Twelve different species of Pokemon can be photographed at the tunnel. The power plant has one generator, which is a five-part conical-shaped device that is partially submerged in a pool of water. Two pipes run from the generator into the water below and another between the generator and the turbine housing. At the top of the conical portion is a dome with an electrode protruding from it. If Zapdos is hatched from its egg, it will begin attacking the generator, thus bringing it and the power plant back online. You hit the Zapdos egg off that conical, the cone of the the power plant, Mm -hmm. and knock into the water. And it takes a minute and then comes out and then starts attacking that system to wake up all the electricity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just before the end of the tunnel is a passageway blocked by fallen rocks. If the nearby electrode is disturbed, it will explode, destroying the rocks and clearing the way to the volcano. In the tunnel's last chamber is a spotlight with some rocks and discarded debris in front of it. If Zapdos reactivates the power plant, the spotlight will turn on and project a shadow resembling a pincer, which is an awesome shot. Mm -hmm. Uh, Professor Oak names this Pokemon sign the Pincer Shadow. Hashtag detail walkthrough. Do you really need to name it? You're just describing it. Um, All right, here's the thing. I'm going to go out there looking for this. What am I looking for? Am I looking for a pincer cactus? Am I looking for a pincer rock? No, I'm looking for a pincer shadow. And now we know. Next up, we have that volcano. And and as I had said, this is one of many levels that you get for opening up a new area or messing with a Pokemon to unlock that new area. Yes. It forces you to work with that environment instead of just kind of lazily snapping. I was just trying to lazily snap. It happens. So the volcano, as its name suggests, is an active volcano. So, you know, the volcano is a <laughs> volcano. It is inhabited primarily by fire-type Pokemon. Ten Pokemon species can be photographed in the area. A small, murky pond is home to Magikarp, the only non-fire-type Pokemon that can be found on the course. The Magmar in the area are very territorial and can be witnessed in fighting and competing with each other and other Pokemon. So you can actually cause this. <laughs> you get them closer with apples, mm-hmm. or the Pokemon food. They look like apples. And when they get too close to each other, one will breathe fire on the other one, and whichever one breathes first knocks the other one out. And you actually get a photo for, like, it's, like, champion Magmar or, like, mm. win- Magmar winner, and, like, you get bonus points for doing that, <laughs> for just having him kill another Pokemon. Just disturbing the peace. Disturbing the peace. In contrast, the local Charmanders stay in a close-knit pack, which, again, is adorable. Little cuties. So they're up on this ridge with, like, these, like, little volcanic little spires mm-hmm. and as you start to throw fruit a charmander will come and like look at it and it starts like yelling char char i'm not gonna do the voice 
You guys can just put it in post, Jesse. <laughs> um, and as he's yelling, char, char, like that, more Charmanders start coming. It's this whole, like, posse. They start yelling at you for more food. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's so goofy, and I absolutely love it. And now, at the beginning of the volcano is a volcanic eruption uh, that is surrounded by a lava pit. If a pester ball is thrown into its crater, it will emit a thick cloud of purple smoke resembling a coughing. Professor Oak names this Pokemon sign <laughs> Coughing Smoke. <laughs> Hashtag detailed walkthrough. <laughs> and this is also where we get to see Moltres. And Moltres is the egg is sitting by the magmar. Mm-hmm. And so you'll want to pester ball it into the lava. Yeah. Slowly sinks very much like Zapdos does and arises like a phoenix. <laughs> Amazing. And, and flies away. And you actually see it a couple times mm. as you journey through. That's awesome. Yeah. And the final Pokemon evolution or. Ones that I remember, because I'm just going off of, like, Alex playing through this 3,000 times as a kid, is right at the end, when you get to, oh, I forgot to mention this too, to end the level, it's just a random warp gate. Oh, yeah, yeah, you just, like, go in and you you're, enter, you're back. Yeah, you enter a warp gate, and you're back. But before you get into your warp gate or the end of the level, there's this Charmeleon that's just running around a crater. You got to knock him in, right? Yep, you got to pester ball him in, he goes, Burr, and then he falls in, <laughs> and then out comes Charizard. So you make the full evolution, mm. you get this Charizard that's, like, Spewing lava around and like yelling at you. He's a little upset. I mean, he is. He didn't want to start that. He was worried about evolving and you forced the process on him. Exactly. You're, you're disturbing this nature. Rude. But the next level we have is the river, which is a gently flowing river that runs alongside a forest. Much of it is eclipsed by the thick canopies of the nearby trees where Metapod may be found attached to their branches. Mm-hmm. 12 different species of Pokemon can be photographed around or within the river, including rarities such as Bulbasaur and Porygon. Schools of Shelter and Cloister are very abundant within these waters and may be seen casually rising up and floating in the air for several seconds at a time. Signs on the riverbanks indicate where Shelter may be found. Near the end of the course is a button on the riverbank. A Porygon camouflage nearby, when disturbed with a pester ball, will land on the button and open the way to the next course. The cave. Yeah, I believe it hits that button, and then it shifts open these kind of like dam doors mm-hmm. that open up, and you just fly into there because you're like, well, I love that you stay on the track this whole time, and you go, oh, new area. You're like, <laughs> you like jetson over. You're like, I can fly this whole time. I might as well just go over there. Why, why am I not literally anywhere else? Yeah. A vile plume sleeps midway through this course, emitting a noxious cloud as it slumbers. When it is woken with the pokey flute, the cloud's dissipation reveals a tree resembling a cubone. And what was that one called, Jesse? I believe Professor Oak names this uh, sign Cubone Tree. There we go. That's a hashtag uh, beautiful detailed walkthrough right there. <laughs> yeah, and let's go back to the level because this is, I will say this, Pokemon nerd fact for you. Give it to me. This is the only game where Slowpoke canonically evolves into Slowbro. He puts his tail into the river, and a shelter bites it, and the two evolve together to make Slowbro. Okay. Only Pokemon game to ever do it. Okay. You heard it here. Interesting. But yeah, so that's one that you, that you cause. You can also mess around with the Bulbasaurs. You can just smash the Metapods with apples. I mean, <laughs> they're just like, Metapod, Met- please don't, Metapod. Kill me. Yeah, so you have those. You have, I love this level. It's, all these levels, too, I know we're going to have, like, Cave and this thing and Power Plant. They're all similar in a way, and some mm-hmm. of the structures look similar. But they're all so unique. And the Pokemon that are there, but just the different environments are so cool and such a new concept. It's almost a puzzle game in its way, too. Yeah. Of, like, trying to figure out what are the perfect evolutions, how do you get, you know, Pikachu to stand on the surfboard. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, everybody loves food. Throw some food. <laughs> And how do you get those type of interactions? It's just Absolutely. playing through the levels, figuring it out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, kids, we didn't really have too much internet back then. So a lot of it was just trial and error, your friend who knew it. Yes. Like, oh, I threw a pasture ball at this thing and it did this. Absolutely. And so that was such a fun time. And so I'll continue on and gush about everyone because next up we have the cave. And obviously, it's a dark cave accessed via the nearby river. The cave is home to many Nocturnal and poison Pokemon. Uh-oh. 13 different kinds of Pokemon may be photographed within the cave at any given time. Although Pester Balls will reveal the cave's Bulbasaur to actually be a ditto. 
What a jerk. In disguise. What a freaking jerk. I love it. And I love Ditto when he's a different Pokemon because he's still got his black beady eyes. <laughs> oh, not in Pokemon Go. They deceive you. Well, that's not a real game. That is a great game. That is you. Jesse's fake Pokemon game. <laughs> but in real ones, he's got a little pookie eyes, and it's great. Hordes of Zubat can be seen and heard chirping and fluttering about, while the local Jigglypuff are pestered by the coughing. It's like this weird Jigglypuff floating through the sky as like coughing chases it, and then hmm. you can save it by hitting the coughing with pester balls, and then eventually at the end of the level, it's Jigglypuff singing and having a concert. Bizarre. The best. <laughs> Towards the back of the cave's third chamber, several large crystals twinkle in the darkness like stars. If photographed, the developed photos show a mysterious and ghostly aura around the crystals that resembles Mewtwo. Professor Oak names this Pokemon sign Mewtwo Constellation. See, that one's a little more original. It's Not... a little bit more like it's twinkly stars. Yeah. But it's it is. And this cave is really cool because as you start to progress further. There's all these stalactite, stalagmite crystals are just like shining, beautiful, super mm-hmm. cool. Yeah, and there's just so many different of those because you get a wheezing. There's a muck, which I think you have to hit a grimer so many times that I think it evolves into muck. And that's what it is. I think <laughs> just... you just keep beating the hell out of this grimer, <laughs> and it eventually becomes a muck. Amazing. So, I mean, this is, again, I love this game so much. Well, there's so many things. Like, it could have literally been an on-rails experience. Take a bunch of photos. Yeah. That's that. Yeah. Uh, You have to have certain tricks, you know, to progress and actually take good photos and put in effort. Even though Professor Oak isn't a photographer, he doesn't know any better. But, you know, whatever. He knows when to outsource when he needs to. (laughs) (laughs) But then the next level we have is Valley. Mm -hmm. Can you guess what it is? Might it be a valley? You are absolutely correct. It is a valley with Whitewater River flowing through it. The rapids are fast moving with numerous drops and twists. At a fork in the river at the end of the valley, a floodgate seals off a lagoon where Tropical Island Hut can be found. The player must use pester balls and a squirtle to knock a manky onto a button to open this floodgate. When the player first visits this lagoon, they will find Professor Oak, who informs them of his discovery of Pokemon signs. Thirteen different species of Pokemon can be photographed in the valley. Many of the Pokemon living in the area are aquatic and water-type Pokemon, ranging from the common Magikarp to the much rarer Pokemon such as Dratini and even Dragonite. There are also playful Squirtle that swim and play within the river and on its banks. Three large mountain peaks in the distance at the beginning of the course resemble Dugtrio. Professor Oak names this Pokemon sign Mount Dugtrio. That's a little better. Is it, though? Hashtag digital walkthrough. Is it, though? Yeah, you're right. Because I was thinking he could call it Mountain Doug Trio, but... I mean, yeah. it is Mountain Doug. It's Mountain Doug Trio, Mountain Doug Trio, but... Mount, Mountain... Uh... Yeah. Also, I will say, so this is where you can now see the Pokemon signs. So mm-hmm. before you could see them, and it was always mysterious, he's like, I don't know what these are. <laughs> and then when you eventually get that hut, that's where, like, the second, quote-unquote, playthrough of the game starts. Because mm-hmm. then you can go back through the levels to get these and unlock these Bits. That's why the Doug Trio is so obvious. You don't, you don't have to do anything. You just look at it and photograph it. Yeah. That's when Professor Oak's like, oh, cool. A mountain. <laughs> Doug Trio mountain. <laughs> so that's where that starts. And once you get all of these signs, we'll go to Mew. But before that, let me tell you some cool Pokemon at this level. Mm-hmm. One, you got some buff Geodudes. Geodude was my favorite Pokemon when I was growing up. Hmm. And that? a Graveler. Why was that? Yeah, yeah. Because he's like a cool rock guy. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's all I need to hear. Yeah. There's also sand shrews, mm-hmm. sand slashes. And as you're going down this crazy thing, yeah, you can hit the squirtle, and there's like a manky like jumping on this thing. Yeah. You can launch a squirtle, and it basically like skips like a stone across mm-hmm. the ground and knocks him off. This is also where we get to see Gyarados. Yeah, because you got to knock a magic carp in the water. Into the waterfall. Right? Yeah, yep. yeah. Knock a magic Because he's had enough. He's been at the volcano. He's been everywhere. He's, he's had <laughs> enough of his life. He needs to be a big boy now. Yeah, and I love Gyarados typically throughout a lot of these, you know, early Pokemon. Uh, the series and the games is like still a big deal. Mm-hmm. Like he's a, 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 essentially a dragon, you know, based off of this, a, what it is. Yeah, Chinese uh, lore, you know, to to kind of look like those dragons. It's awesome. Yeah, and and it's it's such a cool way to do these things. You've had Magikarp the whole time, and you just kind of mm-hmm. like hit them or photograph them, but you finally get the payoff of a Gyarados. So many cool things with this, and. Once you now, as I have said, 
once you've talked to Professor Oak and he's like, those things look like Pokemon, and you go back and photograph all the signs, you then unlock Rainbow Cloud. Yes. So this is the seventh in a secret level above Pokemon Island. It is a large rainbow-colored cloud above the island, similar to the Rainbow Road in Mario Kart. Atop it, all the stars and constellations can be seen clearly. In Pokemon Snap, after taking pictures of all six Pokemon signs, as I had said, you now get to go here. Professor Oak will realize the connection between them, and he will see all those Pokemon constellations within that rainbow cloud. So Mm -hmm. as you're going through it, all those ones you photographed, for some reason, are also constellations. Yeah. So the the Mewtwo constellation is a constellation. (laughs) That just went with it. So he believes that this is a message on where the player should go next. The player will be sent up into this cloud to find the rarest Pokemon on the island. Mm-hmm. And this is actually a challenging thing. So this is where we find Mew. Yes. And like I said, this is very much like Rainbow Road because you have these constellations going by, all this rainbow action happening, and this very soft Mew music and just mm-hmm. a Mew Mew occasionally. <laughs> but to photograph Mew, it's in this protective ball. Yeah. So you have to hit it with pester balls to like break it and then photograph it. And it's going by pretty quick. It's zooming like left and right and coming towards the player. So mm-hmm. it's a difficult hit. Yeah. But it, you can get it. Yeah. And that's overall like what the – the game is leading up to mm-hmm. is essentially getting that photo of Mew. And, and something like a fun fact for everyone is that they brought in the voice actors from the anime to do uh, Professor Oak, but the Pokemon as well. Yes. So so all the, the Charmanders, the voice actors they had making the Char Char voices, it's the same ones. I love it because when you hear, welcome back. Yeah, it's it's literally oh, him. You were close. <laughs> nice one. It sound, You sound almost exactly like him. With a cold. <laughs> Professor Oak with a cold. <laughs> Prof- I'm just Professor Stick. <laughs> Unfortunate. Uh, but let's go. I mean, that was it. So that wraps up the levels. However, I'm assuming a lot of this was with this, the DD release, mm-hmm. the double D. But we got some cut material to talk about that didn't yeah. make into this game. And we only know a little bit about it. I will say one from the composer, actually. Yes. And some of it just from a couple different leaked release things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there's two levels that were cut. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one is the safari level uh, that contained Meowths, Pikachus, and uh, an Awake Snorlax, and even Ekans. But Ekans was cut and from the game overall. And Ekans would have been the 64th Pokemon in the game. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's a Nintendo 64 game with 63 Pokemon. They attempted it, but uh, yeah. yeah, you know, they didn't really speculate on anything more, but from p- data mining and a couple other different things they had talked about and early release things, Ekans was going to be in there. Mm-hmm. And so unfortunately, with the level being cut, no Ekans for us. Mm-hmm. And the next level is the horror level. This is speculation based off of an unused song in the soundtrack. Since there were only three ghost Pokemon at the time of development, it's unclear if there was truly going to be like this horror haunted level. But it, yeah, I, we, we just don't know. Because uh, going back to the composer, she actually on her personal site, which you can view in the Wayback Machine, posted this track and this next one we'll talk about that were like this haunted house horror spooky theme. Mm-hmm. And when people dug it up, like, whoa, 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 whoa. You're dropping a big bombshell on us here. Yeah, because it was like, oh, this is for like the horror level, essentially. Yeah. And everyone's like, what? And then she's like, I've said too much. And then ran away. And finally, we do have a, a, a horror boss. Or, or a boss battle of some mm-hmm. sort. This, again, is speculation based off of an unused horror boss battle theme that was you know, not present in the game. So they were thinking it might have been like a mid-game thing like Mew. Gengar battle. That would have been cool. Well, kind of like the same thing, though. This is speculation, but there are, you know, those two tracks that were cut, and they're very apparent what they were going to be for. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's kind of like a land of what ifs. I think they could have made a haunted level work. We'll see. We got a new one coming out, so oh, we'll we, see. We, we will see. I'm excited. So let's jump over to the music and sound. Let's talk mm-hmm. about who composed this, what it took to bring this together, and who was in it. Mm-hmm. So the Pokemon Snap original soundtrack was composed by Ikuko Mimori. Outside of YouTube and Reddit postings of the soundtrack and her personal website, not much is officially known about the creation of the game's music. What is known about the game's music, however, is how popular and diverse the musical styles are despite the game being the odd child of the Pokemon game franchise. The tracks are all short to allow for loopable implementation within the game and are packed full of different sound textures and colors. 
prominent instruments that can be heard within the game are synthesizers, flutes, steel drums, trombone, drum sets, electronic bass, trumpet, harps, and many others. Although all the tracks have a unique sound, many use the same instruments to help create a sense of continuity throughout the game despite all the different genres of music that can be heard. Bossa Nova, funk, rock, polka, reggae, jazz fusion, Latin, calypso, chiptune, and even old classical forms can be heard despite some of the instrument's implementation being rather untraditional. And I will say these older Nintendo 64 games... The composers went all out with a lot of things. Mm-hmm. It was really cool to hear a lot of different genres just make its way in. Absolutely. And, and it fit the styles. That was the thing. Mm-hmm. It fit the levels. And even though, as we had said, they were shorter tracks to be looped because it's yes. just kind of a background noise. Mm-hmm. It made it. Exactly. Memori would also use many of the sounds from the game within the tracks themselves, such as waves, winds, birds, and even the sound of the camera taking pictures. These were then sequenced and mixed with the synthesized orchestra instruments. Memori would go on to upload the full soundtrack to her personal website after the release of the game. Included in this posting were two tracks not found in the game, supposedly from the cut horror level and boss fight. Today, Memori's website has since been inactive, but you can view it through old links through the Wayback Machine and be able to Mm -hmm. actually listen to all of it. Because actually, I I don't think all of them are, but most of the MP3s of the uncut or unlooped tracks are available on our site. Yep. And finally, this is my thing. The Pokemon Snap original soundtrack contains 25 tracks for a total of 37 minutes and 12 seconds. If you were lucky, Chubby Kid Records released a limited edition of the Pokemon Snap original soundtrack in 2020 with a pink pressing of Mew, a yellow pressing, and a multicolor pressing. Do you got it? Nope. Ah, that would have been so cool. I now know it released in 2020. (laughs) But speaking of other release versions, let's talk about just how this game came out. So first, you know, obviously we have the Nintendo 64. Next, we have the Wii. This was a digital re-release of the game available December 4th, 2007. Pokemon Snap was re-released for the Wii's virtual console with a few small changes. This version can upload pictures from the game to Wii's message board where they can be transferred to people uh, in your Wii address book. In this release as well, Jinx were recolored purple from the black color they were in the original game to reflect the changes in its design to avoid you know, any kind of controversy that Jinx's original design had caused. To celebrate this re-release, the Japanese Yahoo Kids Pokemon page streamed all the episodes in which Todd Snap appeared in the uh, Pokemon anime from December 14, 2007 to January 14, 2008. And then finally, we have the Wii U version, which was a digital re-release of the game, essentially just the Wii version, mm-hmm. available January 5, 2016. Now, Pokemon Snap, I would say, overall did well. Mm-hmm. It was the sixth highest-selling game of July 1999 in Japan, selling over 151 Get it? <laughs> thousand copies that month in only a few days. The second, third, and fourth highest selling games were Pokemon Pinball, Pokemon Blue, and Pokemon Red. Pokemon Snap was also the highest rented video game in November of 1999. Overall, the game has sold over 3.6 million copies worldwide and was the 11th best selling title on the N64. Amazing. Pokemon Snap would earn a 77 out of 100 on Metacritic, with many critics such as GameSpot, LA Times, EGM, and Denver Post praising the game for its innovative gameplay. Some felt that the game was all flash and no substance, but these negative reviews are few and far between. It was also nominated for Best Nintendo 64 Game by Blockbuster for their Blockbuster Awards. Rest in peace. (laughs) Unfortunately, Pokemon Snap would lose to Donkey Kong 64 even though it did not win the Blockbuster Award. It did win over American politician Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who has expressed that she is a huge fan of Pokemon Snap, as we all should be. Mm-hmm. In July 2019, Pokemon director Janucci Masuda was asked by Game Central in an interview if there were ever any plans to create a sequel to Pokemon Snap. Despite his smile, he only stated, quote, All I can say is that we cannot do the same thing as the last time, so we would have to find a whole new twist before we develop a sequel. 
He has also stated in the past that he would love to see a sequel and would not stop Nintendo from making one. By this time, it was apparent that he was well aware of the development of what would become new Pokemon Snap, which is set to release April 30th, 2021, developed by Bandai Namco Studios. Oh, you know we're playing this now. <laughs> you know this is what I'm doing as you're listening to this. <laughs> Pokemon Snap's success is due to the tenacity of Awada and his belief in the Jack and Beans team. The game's captivating personality and charm was quick to win over players, and with their Nintendo 64 controller, pushed them to take the best photos of Pokemon they could and even print them for display. No one would have thought that Pokemon and photography would have been a perfect marriage of gameplay, but the end result was nothing short of spectacular. The Jack and Beans team of HAL Laboratory were able to create a game that has become an early staple in the Pokemon franchise. To this day, many look at it as the most popular Pokemon spinoff title of all time. I second that motion. Second that motion? I second that motion. I third that motion as we dive into, really, why did we decide to cover this game? Mm -hmm. As always, Alex, please start us off. Uh, It's because I love this game. Anyway, Jesse, do you want to tell us more? I I like (laughs) it, too. No, so I want to break it down. We chose this. One, because I do really enjoy this game. This was a game of my childhood. But I chose it because of the innovation Mm -hmm. and what it took to get it off the chopping block. It was a game that shouldn't be, that shouldn't have happened. Or if it did happen in its current Jack and Bean state that it was in, it would have been either a flop or a no-name type idea. Yes. It would have been some random Nintendo title that no one cared about. It was maybe fun in the moment, but that's it. This kept that legacy going that, in my opinion, gave us Pokemon Go, that gave us different styles of Pokemon games or different styles of games in general from Nintendo mm-hmm. that advanced and pushed the ideas or the comfort zones. No matter what you think of Nintendo's hardware or games, they're typically the first to always push you out of your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. They were one of the first for a console to use a microphone to influence a game. Mm-hmm. They were one of the first to use motion controls. They were one of the first to establish some handheld ideas that were profitable and, and worked really well. Yes. You still had Sega. You had plenty of others that were working in that same realm, but Nintendo just got it right. Right place, right time, right IPs. And to use Pokemon with this and give you a really cool tie-in as well with the anime. Mm-hmm. Like, you got to be Todd, this guy in the anime who pops in a couple episodes. Yeah. But at least is a cool tie-in for it. So for this, if we're just going to say face value, I really wanted to do this because of the innovative changes with it and what it did to allow Pokemon to expand out to try something out. Like, Pokemon Mystery Dungeon, mm-hmm. I think, is is an, not an offshoot from this, but it can thank pokemon snap for for bringing the audience weird pokemon games that are outside of the main line absolutely yeah i mean for me this is a game that the the biggest selling point for me it wasn't so much the photography it was being able to experience pokemon in the wild in Mm -hmm. their natural habitat that's something we didn't get before you walked around you know as this little pixel character on your game boy and then a pokemon showed up and you were always wondering, you know, what were they doing? We we kind of saw that in the anime, but it was still typically Ash just showed up and just ruined all the fun. Yeah. What we wanted to see is how they truly interacted with one another, what they were doing, what kind of Pokemon were really hanging out with one another. Mm-hmm. Again, we didn't see that in the anime. It's just like, here's a, here's a bunch of different, you know, it's metapods. Like a, a flock yeah. of whatever was yeah. together. It's, it's not seeing how they interact and, you know, going to an old power plant where, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, you have the Pokemon interact with you and the environment itself to get all those legendary birds. I think it's nothing short of one of the most important Pokemon spinoff simply because, as you said, it allowed uh, mainly Nintendo and, and Game Freak and, and that uh, Pokemon company to really be experimental with the ideas. Um, they had to. I mean, look at even the marketing that went with it. Mm-hmm. We haven't really, really seen another thing like this. No, I, I want to. And, I, and it's unfortunate, you know, uh, due, due to COVID, there's no way that, you know, something like a Pokemon Station 2, you know, or a print station oh, is ever going to happen. We don't know. But it, this was really where uh, a lot of the marketing wasn't just, you know, as we had talked about in, you know, a Facebook ad or an mm-hmm. Instagram ad or, or a video you put out or something like that or send this copy off to streamers. 
it's rather trying to get something in front of people's faces that is even just beyond because you know at the time a TV commercial or a yeah. magazine ad in Nintendo Power. Let's let everyone know that they you know need to go to Blockbuster because we partnered with them mm-hmm. in order to get them to just print these stickers out. Like that to me is such an innovative thing, and it was such a big deal. And such a huge thing in cross-marketing. Mm-hmm. Becoming one of the best rented games of all time. Yes. I wonder why. I wonder why you're renting the game for the station to print out pictures from this mm-hmm. game that you can rent from Blockbuster right here. Yes. You know, so it's it's such a neat cross, pl- not platform, but, but cross-marketing between two different brands that don't really do the same type of thing it's absolutely genius it's absolutely genius because yeah at the time you know for some of our listeners when this was you're too young or weren't even born yet you know those friday nights where you went Mm -hmm. to to uh, bb yeah uh, that or i i we never had a blockbuster around it was family video and movie gallery for me but you know that experience of going and either renting a game or renting movies anything like that getting some snacks and experiencing these Mm -hmm, games mm -hmm. and I remember you know, one of my friends owned this game, and it was an experience to see Mew for that first time. It um, was, because this was really one of the first real, also, inversion Mews we get mm-hmm. that like, we're supposed to get, I guess you would say. Yeah, and it's just an experience, and you can see the influence of, like, from Rainbow Road, from mm-hmm. from Mario Kart. Like, it's all there. Y- you can't deny Awada really could have walked away. Yeah. And 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 they just you know maybe these people would have been out of jobs you know uh, Miyamoto walked away because he's like I I'm washing my hands of this. Luckily they were able to come together and make this project something amazing. Uh, and it's definitely a story I I didn't expect uh, going into this. It's like okay, especially like some of these early Nintendo games. It's like they made the game. Yeah, that's that. But seeing how it was like almost at the breaking point of collapsing, and yet. We ended up getting Pokemon Snap, and now we are getting new Pokemon Snap. Uh, that's literally the title because I was confused at first. I was like, it's not called Pokemon Snap 2? But I digress. Either way, it, it is an awesome game that was innovative if you think about it because, like, really, at the end of the day, it wasn't let's make a Pokemon game about taking photos. It's we have a photography game. Let's put Pokemon in it. Yeah. And it, it's kind of like chocolate and peanut butter. Like, it works. For some people, unless you're allergic, then don't do that. <laughs> but for all the rest of us, delicious. <laughs> yeah, so, sorry, folks. Uh, some of you can't have Reese's. But anyways, I think it, it's absolutely a staple. If you haven't played it, it you're probably going to get a lot of that same. You got time. Uh, you, you're going to get the same thing from the new Pokemon Snap. Either mm-hmm. way, it's it's a treasure what would through you, and through. What would you give it? What would I give this game? Seven or an eight. Solid. Um, so 7.5? 7 or an 8. I can't tell yet. So that's 7.5? I don't want to average it yet because maybe tomorrow I'll be like, you know what? I'm settling on 7 or I'm settling on an 8. Jesse gives it a 7.5. <laughs> Once again, let's get back to this. The dumbest system to rate this ever. He's just like, I don't know. Maybe this or maybe that. Oh, who knows? I didn't say I don't Mine's know. Mine's concrete. You know what mine is? Hmm. First, let's start with Vileplume. Let's go back to Vileplume. That nasty... That nasty... Fart car- Pokemon? Uh, yeah, that's disrespectful to Vileplume. Because Vileplume, <laughs> let's talk about the Vileplume dances. Mm-hmm. Dope polka flute dances. Let's talk about the polka flute. You got do, 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 See, that's one of the songs that's part of the polka flute. Mm-hmm. So add that in there, of course. Of Take out, if you want, our hashtag detail walkthrough of Pokemon Professor Oak's names, because uh, Jesse does not like them. So we'll just, <laughs> we'll just, we'll just straight up get rid of those. Uh, add in... The amount of times that I've just thrown apples at Pokemon just because you could. But then multiply that by how cool Geodudes are because they're pretty cool. <laughs> I like me some Geodudes. And that's probably all out of six Pester Balls. And that's your rating? What else would it be? That is Alex's official rating, and that is our coverage of Pokemon Snap. Research was done by Jesse Reiners and Evan Barr. Cover art by Jesse Reiners and Jessica Welkson. And intro and outro music written and composed by Evan Barr. As usual, who cares? I don't. We care. Well, do we? Do I we care. Do we truly care? Because you know who I care about? 
Who do you care about? Myself, <laughs> but also our patrons. So as I say in all these episodes, if you haven't checked out our Patreon, check it out. We have some really cool content there as well as bonus shows, post shows, T-shirts, posters, get into our game nights, get into our private mm-hmm. private channel for our Discord, and so much more. And we want to thank those amazing members today. And let's start with Tactics. Sky the Bear, Angry Canadian, Grant Dillon, Mr. Choff, Fong Feliciano, Alex Harper, Dilfix, Nick Hyman, Richard Scanlon, McChief, Big Papa Semechki, Nathan Van Devoort, Climbing Spork, Mr. 1898, William Kroll, and Cameron Collier. So thank you guys so much for the support. And if you haven't, check it out. And be sure to find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. After you give us a like or a follow and you want to find out anything coming up about the podcast or have any questions, let us know. And check us out also over at Twitch at twitch.tv slash Sourman70. That's S-O-U-R-M-A-N-7-0, where we'll be streaming guaranteed this game. Well, I guess the, predece- the, the predecessor of it or the successor of it. New Pokemon Snap. Just check it out. <laughs> we'll be there. We'll also be doing you know interviews, uh, some bonus content, some other shows. So check us out again at twitch.tv slash Sourman70. Be sure to give us a starred or written reviewed on your favorite podcast platform. We would appreciate that in the long run. But that was our coverage of Pokemon Snap. Did you play that game when you were younger? Are you going to check out the game after you heard this episode? Are you going to play new Pokemon Snap? Let us know. And with that, I'm your host, Jesse Reiners. I am your host, Alex Kendall. And thank you for tuning in to Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast.